The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. And that's because the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe has some great features like the available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, and much, much more. So think about those places that you want to go, the things that you'd like to do this weekend and where the Santa Fe can take you. Learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Freaking first cut. Golly. Welcome to the First Cup Podcast. I'm Rick Gaiman, and this is your DFS preview for this week's Century Tournament of Champions. A new year starting right now. New year, same team. Greg Ducharme is here. Greg, good to have you. Happy to be a part of the same team. Uh, it, it's so fun working with you guys. I, I am so grateful we get another year of this, um, at, at least. It, it's so cool, and I love doing this show, especially our DFS Monday episodes. Let's go. Let's get after it again. I can't wait. Yeah, this is it. This is where we break down the course and the field and we tell you all the players we're going to play. Doesn't always work out. Sia Najad <laughs> is here. Sia football winding down. Golf starting to get a little more and more of the spotlight. This is a very exciting time for us. The PGA Tour, they're so smart, right? I mean, there might be other factors involved, but Oh, what a perfect coincidence that in the heart of football season, the PGA Tour takes its break. And as football season is definitely winding down, boom, they pop back into the just the, the what, another 10 months we get golf. I, I just it, it's really exciting and it's really smart, I think. It's like 38 straight weeks or something. I counted earlier, but it's some it's something like that. Greg, this week here, as we do every January, we start with the Tournament of Champions. You had to win your way into this event. We had 40 separate winners last season. 39 of them have decided to show up, all but Rory McIlroy. So this is shaping up to be... An excellent field, and in terms of the strength of field numbers, one of the best in tournament history. Yeah, it's it's a, a loaded field, and look, it, it's smart for the players to to go play in Hawaii. It, you in the fall time, you're just coming off a long season, especially this year. I mean, you you came off a really really packed 2020 season towards the end, anyway, after the layoff, and 2021 was it was the super season, right? You had seven major championships. Um, well, uh, you had six, if, but it, but um, that we'll count it was shortly seven. followed. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was shortly followed, um, or, or I guess preluded by the uh, by the PGA Championship in August. So it was uh, it was jam packed, and I, I think some players took a little bit of time off in the fall. Not all of them, but some. And now this is an opportunity to get back, get some FedEx Cup points, which. Uh, are earned and free at the same time. It's a no cut event in a beautiful place. And um, it, it always seems to create a, a really compelling event. So I think it's wise of the players to, to play this week. Four guaranteed rounds as Greg alluded to the course, the plantation course at Kapalua. I'm going to share my screen here. This is from rickrungood.com. I'll be using the tools on my website to kind of further the conversation and show visuals along the way. But this is a course we should be pretty familiar with. Sienna Jad, it is on the scorecard 
like 7,600 yards, but don't, don't, don't worry about that. It's a par 73 that's baked in. There's a lot of elevation changes. You're going to be hitting a lot of downhill drives. doesn't play anywhere near this number. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, that doesn't mean the distance for me isn't, isn't going to be at least somewhat of a, a factor, a small factor, but yeah, I mean, I agree that this course can suit a lot of people. I, I think, you know, for me, I'm definitely looking at distance. I'm definitely looking at par five scoring, maybe maybe the shorter par fours. Um, but at the end of the day, because this is such a, tr- I mean, I don't think, and what we can talk about this as the week progresses, I don't think the wind is going to be severe based on what I've seen just so far. It's super early. So take that for what it's worth. But I mean, I think you're definitely looking at another birdie fest, like we always sort of get here, but I mean, like truly like a, you know, minus 20 or, or better. And so I'm looking for birdie makers. I'm looking for DraftKings scores, like looking at DK points, for example, or birdie or better. I think that's really important here. So um, the chart you have up here, I mean, I obviously putting is going to come into play. It's not super predictive other than the Bermuda part, but yeah, I, I I'm looking for scoring for sure. Mid 20s under par, generally the winning score outside of the year that JT won a couple of years ago. I believe it was a windy year and, and 14 under was your winning score. But Greg, this is this is resort golf. This is uh, big, wide fairways, large greens. They don't want to if you're on vacation and you're in Kapalua and you're playing the plantation course. You don't, you don't want to get much resistance out there. But now the best golfers in the world go out there and they're thinking, I'm just going to dismantle this thing every chance I get. Yeah, well, the the much of the width comes from the slope on the property. So you're designing a golf course, like you said, for a resort stay, for something that's um, should be an enjoyable and a fair experience. It's not designed for a major championship or a U.S. Open. So when you have that kind of slope in the fairways, you often need it. I mean, you, you see the ball roll like crazy out here in most years. And when you have not just the, the downhill slopes, but also the side slopes, that's what one of the reasons why you need that width in the fairways uh, from a, from a golf course design standpoint. So it allows the ball to get on the ground, allows the course to get firm if the weather provides or permits and, uh, and it allows you to keep the ball in play. So it's fair. That also means you get some side hill lies. Uh, there's a lot of undulation and movement in the greens, which is very different than what you may expect from an island course. But there, there is a lot of undulation. They're, they're typically not extremely fast because of wind and, and slope. That combination can be dangerous. But um, it, it's a, a really fun golf course to watch. The, ball's, the ball in most years is moving on the ground, which I, I always enjoy. I find it to be much more compelling. Um, there was one year, I think Patrick, maybe not Patrick. I think it was two years ago. Um, maybe the year I, I believe Care, careful. If, oh. if you say anything about Patrick Reed, make sure it's factual first. Let's use golf facts here. Uh, <laughs> it was, no, it was this year. It was the year JT won in a playoff with Patrick Reed and Xander Shoffley. It, that year that. was, it was wet. And, and the ball was not rolling and it played closer to that, uh, that 70, what is it? 7,600 yards. You said, Rick, yeah. um, it played, it played much closer to that. And it, it didn't have the same excitement that we have, but most years you do see the ball on the ground, you see it moving, you see it running and it creates for, for a, a great event. Um, the other interesting thing about this, most of the time you think of a par 73, you think five par fives. But this has four par fives, only three par threes, right. which is very unique in its design. 
but it still makes it easier for scoring and it enhances what Sia says about birdie averages. Um, birdies are, are much are more rarely made on par threes than par fours and par fives. And typically you'll see the scoring averages uh, on the PGA tour across the whole season, closer to three uh, on, on par threes. So it's just an interesting tidbit. I'm not sure how big of an effect it has, but um, it, I guess you limit your par five importance over what you might typically think of a, on a par 73. Hmm. Well, 39 of the eligible 40 are here, which means we've got ourselves a, a stacked little event at the top. Let's start with the 10K range. Sia Najad, there are five different golfers in this range. John Rahm leads the way at $11,000. Even Colin Morikawa and Justin Thomas at 10.8 and 10.6. Bryson DeChambeau, 10200 And Victor Hovland, two wins in a row coming in a flat 10000 When you're assessing the top of the top here, what do you find? So my first reaction is, when I look at this is, okay, it's only a 39 person field. And just from a pure game theory standpoint, because it's a smaller field, I'm always curious right off the bat, especially in shorter fields, who, who are people going to gravitate to? So I just want to have that sort of out there in terms of, you know, the, the golfers that I, I'm going to like, I'm, I sometimes will qualify them with, Hey, I don't think this guy's going to be super popular. But with all of that said, I mean, John Rahm, obviously at 11,000, on DraftKings. He looks to be probably my favorite guy, but in terms of guys that I'm going to be rostering first on my DraftKings team in this range, that might be, I say might be, because I'm not sure. I'd like your opinion on this. Bryson DeChambeau, I I just, I think distance is going to benefit him to some degree. I think he, we know he can get really hot with the putter. We know he's good on Bermuda. It just seems like the playing field to me between Bryson and everybody else in this 10 K range is, is kind of somewhat even on this particular course. And so Bryson's probably my favorite guy. And I don't think he's going to be as popular as let's say your Colin Morikawa's, your Justin Thomas's uh, and maybe even your John Rahm's. Greg, this is an interesting conversation to have, and I'm glad we're having it right here at the top here with, with Bryson DeChambeau. Correct me if I'm wrong, but, if you're hitting kind of the same spots on the fairway with the run out, I don't want to say most guys are going to play their second shots from the same position, but that that might happen more frequently than a different course. Bryson's real distance advantage might actually appear on the second shot when he is hitting shorter clubs in than everyone else. Am I on the right train of thought here or do you see it differently? Um, on a lot of holes out there, you're right. The ball funnels into some similar spots, assuming again, assuming it's firm enough for, for that to happen. Uh, and Bryson always has an advantage on his second shots when it comes to distance. Always. Uh, he hits the ball really high that might limit some of his run that I think that's part of the reason why you've seen Patrick Reed have some success here. You can fact check me on that. I believe he's had a little bit of success here. Um, um, but he, kind of it's like you can be sneaky long right you get a lot of run out in the fairways and if you put the ball land the ball in the right position you can gain a lot more distance than your club head speed may indicate i i don't think bryson will be necessarily taking advantage of that but all in all the the big advantage for bryson with his distance included in this is the width of the golf course it's Mm. it's so wide there's there's a lot of room out there and it, it will it should on again, not every hole, but on many of the holes, allow him to really let it rip. Um, the concern I have with Bryson 
in especially compared to the other players in this range, we haven't seen a lot of him. And what we have seen hasn't been great. Uh, we saw him at the Hero World Challenge. It wasn't necessarily a, um, a a great performance. It was T14. Remember, there's only 18 players in the field. We saw him at the match, and it didn't go very well. Uh, so, I, looking at those two things. Um, not that I take, not that I put those events up on a pedestal, but the, the only thing, uh, that I did see this tweet and, um, I, I, it might've been from PGA tour splits or something like that. They said that five of the last six winners have either won a, a FedEx cup playoff event or won in the fall and, and definitely played in the fall. So I, I think there's some, and I've seen it too, guys who played a, a moderate, fall schedule have had a lot of success in this event you're you're shaking off rust a little bit less you're you're a little bit closer to your form even though you did have pretty much a month off so uh, that that'd be my one concern and one reason why bryson i have questions about him but as far as course fit and his fingerprint it should be a great match if there's concerns for bryson greg who in this 10k range gives you the least number of concerns um, well, I, I would say the least number of concerns. All right. So I, I don't have a problem with any of the players in the, in the 10 K range. If you want to roll any, any one of those out, I have no problem with it. So I actually recommend, and I am going to answer your question, but I recommend starting with some of the lower tier guys and seeing who fits your price range or taking a look at some ownership, like Sia suggested and seeing which ones the, which one has the, uh, is likely to have the, the, smallest amount of ownership but i ranked them aside from all those things i, I went john rom number one justin thomas number two colin morikawa three victor hovland four and i actually put bryson at five um and that is ownership aside and and price aside and the reason for that rom i think is pretty self-explanatory why we why we would be high on John Rahm is yeah. quite He's the best obvious. player in the world by far. Yes. Right. Well, so not by far though. I mean, well, okay. What metrics would you like to use to determine the gap? Uh, uh, approach specifically. Cause I just want to see oh, where okay. Colin is. Well then, then it's one in one a, maybe not by far, but like it's, it, it's a, it's a gap. I think it's a gap. Sure. I think so Sorry. too. And, and he, he had his, he did have his best iron play year of his career last year, right? He, was, he finished eighth on tour for the season. That was his highest mark ever. And it's just been for John Rahm. It's been phenomenal. Even if you look at, if you're looking at yearly stats, putting was down, I guess you could say, right? He was 42nd in strokes game putting. But if you go to what he's done recently, if you're using rickrungood.com, which I highly recommend oh, in, you. in um, what is it? Seven of seven of eight events he gained yeah. or he gained in seven straight yes seven, seven straight. straight events before the fortinet on the greens so he's been he had a great end of the season on the greens putting is far from a concern with him and i i think the concerns are few and far between maybe his lack of play he hasn't played a ton in the fall he did play overseas a couple times in october um the only the only fault i could have with john rom is the is the lack of play and I think he definitely can overcome that. See, when we get basically four weeks off for everybody, I start to get, I start to assign everybody back to their own like original baselines, right? You mm -hmm. you think that hey, they've had a couple of weeks off, they've been able to kind of 
uh, you know, work through any kinks that they've had with, with their coaches or work on aspects of their game that they might've been struggling with. So Rom to me, best player in the field, you're going to have to pay for it. Although 11,000 is not all that expensive. You were mentioning Colin Morikawa. Are, are you concerned at all that if this thing is 25 under par and you're going to have to make a bunch of 15 and 20 foot putts for birdie that Colin Morikawa has the flat stick magic to pull that off? No, that, that's a concern of mine. I only, by the way, I only said approach because I figured Colin has the edge there. Yeah, that was basically one. like the one metric you could have pulled yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, you're right. And, and for the record, that's why I didn't mention him when we when we went over the, the 10K and above range. I think Colin's a fine play, but I agree. I'm a little nervous about the flat stick um, specifically for Colin Morikawa. But yeah, I mean, just just real quick, I don't want to spend the whole show on Bryson, but I think part of the reason I like him and part of the reason I think the ownership might be down is because of the all of the things that Greg said, which are all true. And, and I think that sort of recency bias that might be in play for this tournament might actually benefit you in a 39-person field, knowing that he does have the requisite upside. Worth noting, Justin Thomas, who is essentially my pick to win this event, has finished inside the top five in four of his last six. He's back to being elite ball striking Justin Thomas. Greg, I think if I went back and looked, I could probably find a tournament of champions trophy on the mantle for all Justin Thomas here. The, I, I am so excited for what he's going to do in 2022. There would be no better place, no better time than Hawaii in a no-cut event, four guaranteed rounds, small field, Playing like JT again. Let's go fire him up. And I put him number two on my on my board. Not that I did full field power rankings, but he's number two <laughs> in my 10K range for many of those reasons. I mean, if if you do normalize statistics, um, you got to look at course history. This may be an event where course history is more important than recent form, which is rare throughout the year. It might be the only event of the year. I guess you could perhaps include Sony or some of the earlier events where guys are playing for their very first time. But this is definitely an event where course history seems to be a little bit sticky. Would you, would you agree with that, Rick? Yes. And it's, um, it's a unique course, right? So when you get a unique course, uh, course history tends to get pretty sticky like this, where it's, it's always played the same time of year. It's always played at the same course. It's very unique. There's kind of not a specific way to do it, but but yes, the strength of field is is generally very similar because you get champions here. This is a sticky, sticky course history place, and, and so that's a a huge a huge bump for JT. And if you go back and normalize to you know you go back to their players' original fingerprints, if you will, because everybody's had four weeks off, and you expect a baseline to come out. His baseline's as good as anybody's. So I, I love that aspect. The other thing I really like is what are JT's problems? What what makes JT struggle? Well, errancy off the tee is a big one. Yes. And this is a course where there's very limited penalty from hitting it in the rough. And the fairways are 80 yards wide. So JT can really get the ball in play around here. He can lean on that, um, on that iron game as well as anybody. And I, I think those things really benefit him. You mentioned earlier about Colin Morikawa, why, you know, if, if the birdie, if, if you have to make 25 birdies or 30 birdies in order to win here, does his putting concern you? And with both JT and Colin Morikawa, their, their proximity to the hole being as good as it normally is, is another way to circumvent that where guys, 
um, th this is a course where you see some bogeys made and there's a lot of three putts here because the greens are so big and undulating. And if you're able to get it in the right section of the greens, which both these players will be able to do more often than the rest of the field, um, or at least at this point, that's what we think. The, the greens aren't all that fast. So all of a sudden putting gets a little, gets a little bit easier if you're in those proper proximity ranges and, and right. they can make birdies that way. So while, like I noticed on your, um, your course overview sheet, I was, I was studying that a little bit earlier before the show, putting is very important. Strokes gain putting is very highly rated. There's a, a pretty strong correlation with strokes gain putting and success at this event, but you do have guys like JT, uh, Hideki Matsuyama, who have also had great success here and they're known to be poor putters. Um, more so Hideki than JT, no question. But so I, I do think there's another way to go about it here. And, uh, and I, I think JT and, and Morikawa can both get it done with their iron play. They certainly do it a different way. And, and see, I don't want to spend the entire show on the 10K range, but there is a guy who has won two events in a row. There is a guy who in his last 100 rounds. So if you could take the last 100 rounds for every golfer, John Rahm, the best player, in terms of strokes gain total, the best metric that we have, John Rahm is number one. Victor Hovland is number two. 100 rounds is a long time, and he has won two events in a row, and we have disrespected the man by not talking about him until 21 minutes into the show. This is absurd. You're right, actually. In, in, in my initial diatribe on the 10K range, I, I meant to mention Victor Hovland, but I was getting... Uh, a little long-winded like I, I typically do. And I only say that because Victor might be listening. So I, I just wanted to throw that you never in. Know it was listening. it was it was just a, a misfire on my part. No, of course I like Victor Hovland. Victor Hovland is a guy that can absolutely get hot on a on a on a birdie maker's course. So yeah, I mean if if I had to rank like let's say the top three for me that I'm going to play in my DraftKings lineups. Uh and this of course you know factors in ownership as well. It's probably going to be Bryson Hovland Rom for me bryson hovland rom for sia i would probably rank them jt rom victor greg sorry sia sia wants another crack at this well before before greg <laughs> says anything rick do you have an issue with the fact that this is kind of a, i think a new piece of rickrungood.com your adjusted fit model i don't know if yeah. you've looked at it past 50 rounds but and it might be the putting but you tell me you're you're the captain of that ship you know he's pretty he's pretty far down there he's not even close to the top 10 so what's going on there who, who are you talking about who justin who? thomas yeah justin okay so jt the problem with the problem with jt is that when you do look at the model and stroke greg 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 got to this where strokes gain putting has been such a strong correlator. And that has been the one thing that really hurts uh, JT. There's only one other course in which strokes gain putting has been more correlated to success at this event. So that's why you're seeing him okay. get the downgrade, but that's fair. Listen, you know, there's different ways to do it. I'm, I'm a sucker for JT. I'm all in on him, on him this year. It's such an inter I, I, I love having a course fit model like this. Um, but as I was looking back, there are a couple of asterisk players that I saw down that down that list too far that I have always to is yeah. right. I'm going to give like a the the model the course fit model with the GFD asterisk the real GFD asterisk on it right. and I put JT way up there because his course history which isn't a statistic right it's my assumption is that's not included in the course fit model and I understand why that would be. 
but that has to play a role when you're looking and analyzing um, a, a DraftKings model, who you're actually going to click the button on. So I, I got JT right up. I, I have ROM one, JT two. If I mean, that's really a 1A, 1B. Uh, that's really a price thing. I, I would make that decision when it comes to price. And I want to say on Victor Hovland, the only reason, the only reason, and I, I, it's never a good idea to do this. The only reason I ranked Morikawa ahead of Hovland is because Hovland just won his last two events. Oh yeah, couldn't possibly do. <laughs> couldn't possibly right. win three in a row. In a row, could he? Right. You know that that's the only the likelihood of that happening is just so low. And Morikawa's win rate is so high. I mean, those two players are neck and neck, which is so cool to watch. And unfortunately, I'm giving the nod to Morikawa because of Hovland's recent success. It's just been too good. I swear I'm going to move away from the $10,000 rage, and I will <laughs> I will exit with this thought. John Rahm is $11,000 this week. We are seeing soft pricing. He has not been this cheap since the PGA Championship. That is where you, major championships you get historically soft pricing. He was $11,000 at the AT&T Byron Nelson. He was 10 8 at the Wells Fargo Championship. Those were the last three times. He's generally much more expensive than this if that is factoring into any one of your decisions. I'm moving on. I'm going, I'm going, I'm going down to the 9K range, and there's only three golfers, so I I think we can make up some time here. Patrick Cantlay is 9,700. Xander Shoffley, 9,500. And Sam Burns at 9,100. Sia, let's talk about this tier. Let's figure out who we like, maybe who we don't like. There's only three guys. Yeah, so I, I'll be short here. I, I think Patrick Cantley's my guy here. Obviously, yeah. Sam Burns makes a lot of sense, and Sam Burns can pop. But I think Patrick Cantley's all-around game, and when you look at his price, He's, he's one of those guys that it's not that he doesn't I mean, I don't want to say he doesn't belong in the 9K range, but if you put him over Bryson, I don't think anybody would really have much of an issue with that. You could have Patrick Cantlay be the second most expensive golfer, and I wouldn't have a problem with it behind John Rahm. I completely agree with you. I think he's the most mispriced. I've been messing around um, with these new power rankings, and I've been messing around with weighted strokes gain numbers, Greg, because this is what – and I think you were kind of getting to this a little bit earlier – you know, there's a big difference between gaining two strokes on the field at the Bermuda Championship and gaining two strokes on the field at the U.S. Open. So when you start factoring in strength of field numbers, I've created these weighted strokes gained metrics. And it's still John Rahm being number one. But Patrick Cantlay kind of closes the gap on him a little bit or solidifies his spot as the number two golfer in this field when you look at the weights. And really all that means is he shows up and he plays well when the best players get together. That That's really what this yeah. is. Indicating. Yeah, I, I don't understand the pricing. I mean, he, just like Victor Hovland, won his last two starts. Um, and, and they happen to be to win the FedEx Cup. So if you're going to wait yeah. that, it's hard to wait even even more than that. And the strength of field doesn't even weigh in the fact that there's a $15 million prize on the line in one of those events. Um, and don't don't even think about the uh, talking about the shadow leaderboard here. I'll, I'll save that for another day. That's for that's for another day. And there is an eight and a seven uh, and a six thousand dollar range that we have to get to. But I am really kind of miffed by the Cantlay price. That being said, this is a long time off. It's a it's a lot of time without playing competitive golf. Um, the the entire fall season. I mean, nothing overseas, not the Hero World Challenge, 
not the PNC. I mean, not he nothing. We haven't seen not even the PNC. (laughs) My point is, it's not like he played a couple of unofficial. He didn't play anything. He didn't play anything. So if I'm gonna talk, if I'm gonna go ahead and talk about how that's a concern of mine for Bryson, it's a concern of mine for Cantlay, and and that almost eliminates the recent form for me when I look at it now, yes, his fingerprint is still great. If you're going to normalize everything and say, this is your baseline player, Patrick Cantlay is right up near the top, but his putting figures from the previous two events, uh, his ball, those, those things are all in question, especially the putting. Um, you just don't know how he's going to come back to competition. So rust is my biggest concern with Cantlay. And for that reason, he's number two on my, uh, in my nine K rankings. And I think Sam Burns is the top guy here. Um, and I think Sam Burns could win this event. I, I love Sam Burns, especially at a $9,100 price. And if, if you want to get John Rahm in your lineup, um, he, he would be a better option than Cantlay. It's going to be easier to fit him in than Cantlay. And what he's done recently, which is more recent than most players in the field, more full, a T3, a T7, a T5, T14, win. I'm not even skipping an event here. It's been no, you're not. phenomenal. Yeah. And as you can see on, on rickrungood.com, it's dark green across the board. So this guy has been on fire. And I think there may be a, a downtick at some point, but what I've seen out of Sam Burns is real improvement, uh, not a hot streak, real improvement. That it, and, I, and I think his fingerprint has changed. It's nine consecutive top 25s with – three, four, five, six of them being top tens, including the victory, Sia. I'm I'm a Sam Burns truther. I, I will go to my grave saying that Sam Burns is like the next elite whatever. But with the way that this is shaping up, and I don't necessarily disagree with it, that means Xander Shoffley is the like guy number three in the $9,000 range at an event that he's dominated in a short field, no cutter. Like what, what, what bizarro world are we living? Do we just roster all three of these guys and figure it out later? Well, you could, I mean, you could definitely start in the nine K range. Like Greg suggested. I don't know how much money that leaves you. If you, I don't if you know roster all, either. Yeah. all three, uh, but you could definitely, I think you could definitely make that lineup. Uh, yeah. I, I, I think Xander's fine. Uh, I mean, he, I don't think he, has the recent pedigree that Sam Burns does. I mean, I know he won the Olympics, but I, I don't think that's going to be the same analysis as you'd have with uh, Sam Burns in terms of recent form. And then uh, obviously Patrick Cantlay's recent form is tremendous as well. So I think Xander's fine. He, he's not a guy, I don't think I'm going to roster him. I definitely think starting your lineup with Patrick Cantlay and Sam Burns is appropriate if, if that's what you wanted to do. But I do think that both of them will be really popular as well. So that's just kind of a side note. The more, the more we talk about it, <laughs> the more I know I'm going to regret not rostering Xander Shoffley, right? I mean, it's sticky course history here. His course history is phenomenal. Normalize the thing because of the time off. He's phenomenal, but I still, I, I can't get Pat. I think he's, I think he's third. I I'll tell you this. I actually prefer Xander over Sam Burns, believe it or not. I, I, if I had to rank the, the nine K range, I would actually go can't lay Xander and then Sam Burns. Is that, is that because Sam Burns hasn't played here before? That's part of it. But I just think uh, Sam Burns is, is really good. I just wonder if there's going to be a dip with him. I think Xander's game is pretty consistent overall. And I think 
you know, especially coming off a break, I think I'd probably prefer to lean on that consistency over what is obviously better upside with Sam Burns. No cut events for dating back to 2008. So this is most of these guys' career. Xander Shoffley's played 132 rounds. He's gaining a stroke and a quarter per round. It's second to only Justin Thomas of golfers who have played as many rounds as him. Sam Burns is actually second on this list. He only has 20 rounds played. He's only played a handful of no-cut events, four of them. Obviously, if you could do 20 divided by four, five of them, I can't, I can't. It is five. Um, that is the real number. I'm good at math on live TV. So Sam Burns in his short, small sample size, proving to be elite in this way as well. What, do, you, do you know what this leaves us? What if we play all three of these guys? I, I, can't, I can't decide between them. What does that leave us? Do you have it in front of you, Sia? I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll oh. do it real quick. So okay. this would be if we play Cantlay, Xander, and Burns. We start our lineups there. We forego the entire 10K range. I mean, what would be wrong with that? There's, there's nothing. That would be a great. That's just you could do. You could it actually set the stars and scrubs strategy. It actually leaves you with more than you think. Uh, 70, 7,200 and change. So oh, you boy. could just dip down to that like 6,100 range to grab a guy. Whether it's EVR or Sync, we'll get to it. Um, uh, you know, Joel make case for a Lucas Herbert. Guy. and then boom, you take one of those 6,100 guys. All of a sudden you're left with 7,800 for the, oh, the next two guys. Yeah. It's, it's not bad. I'm Kokrak's in, in that range. That's, that's Dude, right there. Leishman, <laughs> Patrick the Reed. Yeah. That's phenomenal. You're that's just, you good. just got to leave off Hovland and JT and Rob. Yeah. That's uh, all, all, you, just have to, right. you just have to leave off like 80% of the win equity at the top. That's all you have to do. Still, you get a lot. You're getting a lot of win equity with those three guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot. Uh, listen, I love all three of those guys. You're not going to get an argument from me. We got to talk about the 8K range, the sevens, and that pesky $6,000 range. But first, we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. It's a really fine line creating workout clothes that are great in the gym and workout clothes that are also great to look at outside the gym. And Viore has threaded that needle. They are designed to work out in, but they don't look like it. They don't feel like it. And it's incredibly comfortable stuff, whether you are running, training, swimming, doing yoga, running errands, lounging around the house. It really doesn't matter. These are versatile clothes. You'll find me often in the men's Sunday performance jogger because I I like the jogger situation that goes on down at the bottom, but they're very comfortable. Uh, They've got a little bit of a shorter inseam, so they're not as bulky as as other pants or other joggers that I have seen out there. And I've really enjoyed how they work both in and out of the gym. So now here's what you can do for for our listeners. Uh, First time purchasers are getting 20% off. All you have to do is go to viori.com slash first. That's V-U-O-R-I.com slash first. Again, not only will you receive 20% off your first order, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75. And here's my favorite part, free returns. Yeah, go check it out. Viori.com slash first and discover the versatility of Viori clothing. And we're back. The $8,000 range. Now we're starting to get a little bit bigger here. Starts with Jordan Spieth and Hideki Matsuyama. Continues to Brooks Kepka and Daniel Berger, who, by the way, as of maybe an hour ago on Instagram, didn't have his clubs yet. Hadn't seen those. Hadn't made it to, to Maui. We'll keep an eye on that situation. Cam Smith, Sung J.M., 
Abraham answer and Tony Finau round out this $8,000 range. Craig, it is the tournament of champions. So we do see bigger names here for less expensive than they normally are. Where do we go in this section? Um, I'll give you my, again, there are some tough calls in this one. And I'm finding that without really recent form, it's really hard to make some calls on these guys. Cause we have so many, we're blessed with so many great players, but I mean, Daniel Berger and Cam Smith are low 8K guys, so I, I love them. But my my top guy in the 8K range, I think, is I think is Sung J M. Oh, uh, yes. I I'm having a the and I, I like Hideki too. So my order is Sung J, Hideki, and then Daniel Berger and Cam Smith. There, those two are near a coin toss. I might lean a little bit to Berger. Um, on that for my third spot but when you look at uh when you look at sung jm it's hard to really find an argument i mean the what he played in the fall was substantial played four yeah. events in the fall he won in the fall uh he has a top 10 his worst finish is t31 at the sanderson and then he went first tied ninth tied 19th and i see a lot of uh, a lot of dark green on his page on on rickrungood.com you know what I like about Sung Jay? Obviously a lot, but when he won at Summerlin, that was 25 under par, something like that. You're probably going to have to fill it up, make that many birdies this week. The other thing about Sung Jay is he hasn't lost strokes off the tee since the John Deere has basically gained strokes on approach every week since then. And see, he's phenomenal on Bermuda. It's his best surface. I mean, this, this is shaping up to be a pretty good spot for Sung Jay, I would imagine. It is, but I seem to recall uh, a couple months ago when we had back-to-back -back Bermuda courses, Sungjae wasn't great. So I, I'm not saying he's not good on Bermuda all of a sudden, but I don't know how much I want to factor that in uh, because when I see his putting, and, and I do want to lean on guys who can get hot with the putter. Now, he can, but it's usually like one every you know, four or five tournaments where he actually does get hot. Yeah, you are accurately very – see ya. You know what? Hat tip, hat tip to you, my friend, because the longer-term Bermuda numbers are certainly skewed in Sung Jay's favor. He has lost on Bermuda. One, two, three, four, five, eh, six, se seven of his last eight, and the one he gained, Sia, 0.01 stroke. So he didn't gain so well. It was basically this phenomenal stretch before then that really – inflates his longer term Bermuda grass putting numbers. That is astute and sharp, my friend. What would we say about a guy? Let's use a different metric, for example. Let's use approach who <laughs> crushed it for seven or eight tournaments in a row and then was losing strokes in kind of a significant way for seven or eight tournaments in a row. We'd say he's bad on approach. We'd say he's bad with the irons, but with Sungjae, we're still saying this. And so I, I just, I, I don't know what to make of him on Bermuda, but I know what the stats tell me is for right now, he's not very good on. The one thing I would say about Bermuda that's an interesting surface this week, especially most Bermuda greens are also very flat. They don't carry a ton of undulation. Um, if you, if you look at the golf courses in Florida, those stand out to me um, in, in a big time way. Maybe, maybe most isn't true, but many of the many, even next week at, um, at Wiley, the greens tend to be a little flatter on, on Bermuda and grain plays a bigger role, but these are really undulating greens. Is there a course you can think of that has more undulation in the greens? That's a, also a Bermuda surface. Not Bermuda. Um, 
Right. I mean, you have a, a I can think of Ben. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Most of the most of the really undulating greens, at least off the top of my head, are are bent. They're in the northeast where it's a little more hilly. You get um you get a little more yeah. undulation in, in the property as a whole. So I wonder if that plays an effect. Because again, like you said earlier, Rick, this is unique. This yeah. golf course is unique, and I don't think it's unique because of Bermuda. I think it's unique because of the um, the drastic amount of slope on the property and the greens are included in that. So when I when I choose Sungjae, it it's not really a Bermuda grass thing for me. I, it has a lot to do with ball striking. The possibility of the putter getting hot is there. Um, but see, I wanted to ask you this: How do you rank? When you're when you're looking at an event like this, where you know birdies are going to be important, and putting shows up as being very important in the model, how do you rank birdie average versus putting averages, or, or strokes gained putting, or, or any given putting metric? How do you compare those two? Well, I think here, I, it, I think it depends on the tournament here because there's such an emphasis on putting, and I, I understand it's a volatile stat, but I, I do want to probably find a little bit more consistency with the putter. So, and I'm hoping that's congruent with the birdie or better average. So that's, and I, I know consistency is almost like a bad word when it comes to putting, but consistency doesn't necessarily, to me, it doesn't necessarily mean, well, I'm just consistent. Like I'm gaining a stroke here, or a stroke there. That can also mean that you're popping with the putter as well. I just don't want to see the divots, if you will. I don't want to see the the, you know, four or five in a row where he's, you know, losing, somebody's losing three or four strokes and then boom, he pops once. Like I'd prefer some consistency there. That That's, that's how I'd answer that. If I was going to go along with that, with Sungjae, um, with three putt avoidance, if you look at what he's done so far this year, again, it's a small sample size, but in this season, he's 205th on tour and three putt avoidance last year. He was, um, he was much better, much, he was 56th. So I, I wonder if, I guess I, I could see your point there, but I still, I have a, I have a good feeling on Sungjae. See, I take a crack at this $8,000 range and pull out a name or two for us, my friend. Yeah, there's, there's three that I like quite a bit. And it, and honestly, the putting really factors in here. They're going to be pretty popular. I think Daniel Berger, Cameron Smith, and uh, Abraham answer are probably my three favorite here. All three, if you look last 24 rounds, last 50 rounds, last hundred rounds, answer and Cam Smith show up in the top 10 in really yeah. every single one of those, uh, by I've the got, way, go ahead. I've got top 100 loaded right here. If you're watching on YouTube, Cam Smith second in this field and strokes game putting Abraham answer seventh during that stretch. And even if you, yeah, start to adjust this around 50 or whatever you want to look like, you're going to, you're going to see answer. You're going to see burns burns or, or excuse me, answer and Smith's name near the top of the leaderboard. Yeah. And you'll, you'll see some burns just side note. Bryson is all, on all three of those lists. I believe the, the top 20 uh, last 24, last 50 and last hundred rounds putting, uh, can't lay make some appearances there as well. But the point is, is uh, these are good ball strikers other than, you know, Cameron Smith off the tee, not, not necessarily, but that's not going to hurt him here. So I think the price on Cameron Smith, I think he, there's definitely some win equity there, maybe more so than Daniel Berger and Abraham answer, but I, I just like, I just like how they strike the ball. And I like that all three of them can consistently get hot with the putter. Yeah. Smith is someone that showed up everything I ran cam Smith's name continued to show up which I guess I'll have to do a little bit more homework on him but we've got to talk about probably the biggest name in this range he's $8,900 name is Jordan Spieth and I am 
under the impression, Greg, that his range of outcomes is bigger than anybody's in this entire field because he has legitimate win equity. We've seen him win this event. We've seen him contend. We've seen him win recently. We've seen him contend a lot recently, but he limped to the finish line of 2021. The approach play, which he was so sharp with all summer long, he lost it. He finished dead last by a mile at the Hero World Challenge the last time we saw him. Now four weeks off to try to get right. What I would not be surprised if Spieth won. I would not be surprised if he finished 39th. Yeah, I, I completely agree, Rick. And um, you said something earlier. You just mentioned it again about you know normalizing a player when you have four weeks off. But Jordan's the one guy in this field that stands out to me who I don't know if you can do that with. And the reason is he had four weeks off, but also with a new baby. <laughs> yeah. And that's a big factor because you don't, you just don't know how he spent his four weeks. And I, I wouldn't blame him either way. If he was working on his game for four weeks and really putting in some really solid effort and trying to get himself back on track for this event, or if he's spending time with his family, a, a new young family, he has every right to do that. And I wouldn't be surprised if he did. And I wouldn't blame him for it either. So and and the last time we saw him at the Hero World Challenge, I know it's the Hero World Challenge. You can't put too much weight on it, but it, it wasn't a sharp performance. He came in last in the field. It it, uh, it wasn't great. And I'm not uh, incredibly encouraged by that. Because there's so many strong options in this field, um, who we've already mentioned, I, I have to stay away from Jordan. I, I think, um, it, let's say this, if, if you're going to play 20 lineups, he might make he might make, you know, two, three, but I'm, I'm playing him a very, very small percentage, if at all. The idea around Spieth, Sia, I imagine comes back a little bit to what you're looking for. If you're trying to build, if you're looking for a consistent, safe option, Jordan Spieth does not feel like your guy. If you're looking for a volatile, willing to take on the risk for the reward type of play, then Spieth fits that probably better than anybody. Which is why I would probably take him if his ownership was low. But if his ownership was where some of the other big names are, there's really no, in my opinion, there's no reason to take him because especially when you consider the recent form. And and I do think the fact that he has a you know a two-month-old at home, I, I you know, I know it's kind of weird to talk about, but I do think that's a factor as someone who has two small kids. I don't think he's quote working on his game around the clock for the last five weeks. <laughs> I just don't think that's the case. So the, the and and again, to Greg's point, that's perfectly normal right you have a you know a you know child at home uh, a, a new a new addition to the family of course that's going to take a lot of your attention so again if he if his ownership happens to be lower than really everybody else that we think has win equity go ahead and put him in your dfs lineup but if it's creeping towards the guys that we already have like talked about that we like i see no reason to roster him what's his um his ownership history like is is he typically is he one of those guys that's higher owned than then maybe his metrics would uh, would point out or higher on than he should be because he's such a fan favorite. Yeah, he does tend to get a bump. I mean, the hero, which is obviously only a 20-person field, but he was 34% owned. He was only 8% at the Summit Club and 10% at the Tour Championship. But this is during that stretch. You know what? I'll tell you what. I take that back a little bit. When he gets going, and I bet you if I continue to go back, yeah, in this summer when he continued to just – 
when he was scorching hot, you'll see high ownership on him. 24% at the Open Championship, 20% at the WGC, even 15 and a half at the Northern Trust. People are willing to forego Jordan Spieth, it feels like, when he does, when he's not yeah. in good form. Okay, so that, that gives you a chance then. If you want to play that ownership card, he, he could be low. There's a realistic chance of that. Yeah, he definitely also, I'm just kind of flipping through this, places that the thicker the thicker the rough, the lower owned he is. Pretty sharp, pretty sharp industry out there. Not I guess so. so. I not guess so. so bad. Uh, before I move on, as right smack dab in the middle of this range is Brooks Kepka. Does anybody have a thought, a lean, a desire on, on Brooks after we saw him destroy Bryson and we saw him finish T9 at the Hero World Challenge? Missed the cut at the Houston Open. Missed the cut at Mayakoba. Haven't seen him post a particularly great finish on the PGA Tour in quite some time. I want to, I want to say yes to Brooks, but this is one of those events where you don't know where he's going to be. Again, it's similar to a, a Jordan Spieth thing minus the minus the baby. What has he been doing in the off season? And the, his reason is he said before that he doesn't really practice and let, he he kind of put, he's not afraid to put the clubs away. He's also said he's a range rat now. So I, I don't know where he is. I don't know what he's been doing. It's not a major championship. Um, <laughs> I, I, I want to, I want to say that Brooks Kepka is going to turn it around this year and put some real effort into regular PGA tour events. But um, I haven't seen any evidence, any evidence of it at all yet. If you're if you're playing cash lineups, he's not somebody that would come anywhere near it. But I do think at 8,500, especially if the ownership is down, and I think it will be because I think Cam Smith and Daniel Berger are going to emerge as like sort of the popular names in that specific range. So I definitely think there's the requisite upside. I mean, he has said recently that the knee injury, he he feels like he's shaken off, like he doesn't think that that is quite an issue anymore. So I think the common narrative will be, oh, it's a resort course. He'll be doing more of the resorting and less of the golfing. I, I think that's sort of just like the standard narrative you'll hear. But at 8,500, I, I think in your tournament lineups, you have to consider him. The sevens, Patrick Reed leads the way our defending champion, Harris English, 78 right behind. Jason Kokrak, fresh off a of victory at the QBE. Does that count? Do I get do I get to say that about Jason Kokrak? Fresh off of victory, $7,700. Taylor Gooch, 76. Mark Leishman, 75. And then you get a gap. You don't always see this. Kevin Na is 71. Billy Horschel is 7,000. Greg, this is probably where the lineups will be differentiated. This is probably the range where you could make a case for and against all of these guys. And if one of them finishes T2, that's probably your slate breaker. This feels like where a lot of the leverage will come from. It's a, a very interesting section of the uh, of the player pool, and I, I agree with you. I think this is where the where the tournaments will be won and lost, if you will. So there are a couple of guys that I like. Um, one is he's maybe not my first, but he's at least one A or one B. Um, he, so he, he's right there with another player, but who I, I'm, I know for a fact you guys are going to mention, but Mark Leishman really has my interest this week. Um, there are a couple reasons for that. Um, one of them is his recent form has been really pretty good. Um, he was 19th in Houston. He was tied 38th at the CJ cup, but before that he had two back-to-back top five finishes to start off the season. I know that, I know that's a long time ago, but 
it it speaks to what he's done with the putter and he's a guy who can who can really he can really roll it so i i think mark leishman has a real chance of having some success here the weakness for him seems to be accuracy off the tee um, mm. his iron play can really heat up and so i think his his weakness is mitigated a little bit by the setup of the golf course and um and i like what he does with his iron play and i like what he does on the greens so i i give mark leishman a, a really good um a really really solid look here yeah leishman streaky-ish kind of golfer that i never seem to get right but he did have a decent fall see ya, when you start to assess the seven thousand dollar range what do you find I agree with Leishman. I actually don't ever really roster Leishman, but I do think this is a really good course fit for him. So I'll, I'll tag along with that one. Jason Kokrak jumps out at me. He, he kind of yeah. jumps out yeah. at me, I think, more than most uh, in terms popular, of like, right? I, I, yeah, I mean, maybe. I, I don't know. I, you know, there's the, the names in this 7K range. Yeah, I, I agree. He'll probably pop maybe with your Patrick Reeds. I don't know that Harris English is going to get a lot of love, even though he he is the returning champ. There's not a lot to choose from. So, yeah, you're probably right. I mean, Taylor Gooch is going to get some love, too, I would imagine. But, yeah, I, I think Jason Kokrak, I mean, look, he's good off the tee. He's he's good on approach. And the putter can get really hot. So, Leishman and Kokrak are probably my favorite here. Victor Hovland, Patrick Cantlay, Jason Kokrak have all won each of their last two starts, if you give Kokrak yeah. the QBE that he shared with Kevin Knott, which is an interesting note. I will put this out because – We've talked a lot about Jason Kokrak finding the putter, Greg. It's it's a real thing. So I'm, we're 100 rounds into this. 100 rounds is a really long time. Jason Kokrak, last 100 rounds, by far the best putter in this field. And really, even if you remove that filter, the only guy with other uh, a significant PGA Tour experience in which Kokrak is not a, as good of a putter as is Ian Poulter. That's literally the class that he is in now statistically ever since apparently lengthening his putter two inches and becoming the best on planet Earth. Yeah, I told you that can make a real, it can make a real difference. <laughs> Unbelievable. You just normally don't see him go to the very best, right? You become a good, become a good putter. But it, it's similar what Kokrak has done. It's similar to what I said about Sam Burns, how he's really changed. He's it's not a hot streak anymore, right? He's really right. changed his fingerprint and become a legitimate putter and a hundred rounds. I completely agree with you. It's enough to say that. Um, so I, I like Kokrak. He was the guy I, I said, I, I was sure that one of you guys would mention. <laughs> yeah. And it, the other thing that he has going for him is like this, this is a course model. When you look at that, that I trust mildly. Right. I look at what what that course fit is, and I, I definitely put more asterisks here than I will at, say, the Farmers Insurance Open. There are some other events that have really strong correlations to success when it comes to the stats. This one, I feel like there's a lot of wiggle room here. But Kokrak meets he meets the the putting aspect. I yeah. do take that that data into account. It's there for a reason. It, it's going to be important. He meets that criteria, but he also has the ball striking to go along with it. So you kind of feel like, okay, I, if I want to take good putters in a given week, if I have the ball striking to, to back that up, I feel, I feel much better about it. And um, what, how, how does Kokrak do? Can you f do that filter again with the non um, do yeah. that thing with the, uh, the, the non-cut events? 
So, yeah, so I don't know how many he's played, so let's do this. Let's do no-cut events here. We'll go to Kokrak, see if I can find him pretty quickly, 7,700. About a half a stroke per round, which puts him about, okay. I don't know, top third of the field or so. Okay, so that's good. Mild that's success, good. yeah. Good enough, right? Middle middle ground with his fit, um, with his statistic fit, his recent form. He Kokrak's checking all the boxes for me. So yeah, I'm I mean, in. he won won the CJ Cup. That was a larger field than this. Also, no cut event. He won that. He finished ninth at the WGC Workday, fifteenth at the BMW. He's played played well enough recently. Oh, um, yeah. Sian Ajad, before we get out of the 7K range, I think Kokrak will be popular. Probably see some Taylor Gooch love, I imagine. Is there anyone else? Or I guess really, let me let me guide this towards Patrick Reed at $7,900. Because if you look at Reed, obviously great success um, here at this event, right? He won it in 2015. He finished runner-up in 16. Finished runner-up again two years ago. Has popped recently, but... For the most part, a struggle. This is he. He to me is one of the harder golfers to figure out this week. When you pull up his recent form and you see a T three at the Hero, a T two at Bermuda, but basically nothing else besides that. Yeah, and that's the type of variance you probably want to embrace when the season is just starting. So at seventy nine hundred, I actually think Patrick Reed is a pretty good play. He's not somebody. I've really been interested in, in quite some time because of the statistics. It just doesn't. It just doesn't add up in terms of rostering him. But again, I think when you're starting a season and you have a long break, like, of course, I want to see, you know, somewhat of recent form. But I think we're in a situation where there's going to be so much variance in the first few tournaments back in the calendar year that I think guys who you think have win equity, like a Patrick Reed, who, by the way, to your point, has finished third and second, you know, over the last handful of tournaments. I think that's a guy you kind of have to pay attention to, especially looking at this. I mean, this is pretty bad, but a lot of a lot of the ills for Patrick Reed have been off the tee. And I'm not saying off the tee doesn't matter, but I'm saying in this tournament, if you're still kind of bad off the tee, you can potentially fix that. I, I just look at that that chart you just had up there, Rick. Um, the yeah. And that when that top left corner is all red. Right. That's your off the tee and approach. And it's all deep red, right? It's, it's not good. It's a sign for me. It's not just the weakness, but it's a sign that his swing is out of sync when it's both, when it's off the tee and approach. And so because his swing is in trouble, it worries me. But that being said, lastly, I'll say you got it's sticky course history and there has been a four week break. And there are a lot of reasons why the, the red there is my concern. But there is a lot of a lot of upside with Patrick Reed. You you match that course history with a seventy nine hundred price, and it's um, I mean that that definitely should get your ears, you know, perk your ears up a little bit, right? My ears are perked. My ears are perked. The six thousand dollar range. I won't read them all, but it starts with Siwoo Kim, Cam Champ, Max Homa, Seamus Power goes down to the min price guys. K H Lee, Kevin Kisner, Lucas Glover. Matt Jones and Stuart Sink. See ya. If we try to go with the three 9K golfers, or if we want to get maybe two of the 10K guys, we've got to dip down here, and there's no risk for a cut. So maybe it's worth grabbing a guy or two. Who could we find? Yeah, there's a few guys that have my interest. Uh, Max Home is one of them, but I do have to point out the putter has been pretty horrific over the last few months. Go ahead. 
I would like to, I have a stat on this. So yes, his putter is horrendous. However, he, when he putts well, he finishes inside the top 10. I don't have the stat in front of me, but I tweeted it out at some point in the break. I believe it is this. Max Homa has gained four or more strokes putting. I think it was five times last year. All of them, he finished inside the top 10. He is the only golfer who had a 100% top 10 rate when he gained four or more strokes putting. So essentially, he's the anti-Kyle Stanley Sia, who when <laughs> Kyle Stanley putts well, it doesn't matter anyway. When he actually does putt well, it's rare, but when he does it, you get big returns from it. Yeah, looking at your chart, it's 10th, 6th, 6th, 1st. So, yeah, I mean, you know, unfortunately, th those four strokes are better. They're happening, you know, every, on every average, it looks like every five weeks. or six tournaments. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, there's still win equity there. We know Max Homa has win equity. He's actually proven that before. So Max Homa is interesting. I think Seamus Power is really interesting. I haven't really decided if Power is a guy like that's an emerging star on the tour or if he's just going yeah. to be a guy. I really don't know. But I think in this range, I don't think uh, I don't think you're it's a bad move to roster him if, if you need to go down there. Maybe a couple other names to consider for me. Yeah, before you do that, the power yeah. stuff is interesting because this, this is why I he's basically the reason I tried to create these weighted strokes gained metrics because if you take the raw numbers and for the last 50 rounds, John Rahm is first, Seamus Power is second. I don't think anyone actually believes that as much as I love Seamus Power, mm -hmm. but you know his win at what Barbasol, and he kind of beat up on a lot of weaker fields. When you put the weighted strokes gained on, he goes from second to 18th, which I think is probably much more indicative of his true skill set. That's still a lot better than he's being priced, but this is why I think the weighted stuff is going to become a lot more important when you're trying to compare a John Rom to a Seamus Power, if you must. Yeah, and it, and it also, you know, you you also have to factor in that that this is static right now, and that he he might actually. I love the weighted thing, by the way, that that you've you've put it's on great. the site, but but the, it's static right now. But he could be moving. We, we might be in the process of seeing him move up this weighted model. We we just don't sure. know, and that's why I'm like, is he a guy or is he a guy that like. You know, in six months from now, we're going to be like, oh, I got a roster Seamus Power because of the value, you know. So here I think he's presenting enough value for me to take the risk. Uh, so, yeah, Seamus Power is another one. You know, EVR is a guy I'm, I'm moderately interested in. Other than that, you know, I, I kind of have a feeling, and I hate to say this because it's not necessarily backed by, by any sort of data. Uh, Cam Champ has my interest for whatever reason. And by the way, his history here isn't bad. I mean, last year it wasn't great, but the two years prior to that, it wasn't bad. I do think he's kind of a good course fit. So he's a guy that I, I, I think will be very low owned that I might check out. Yeah. Cam champ and cam Davis. I've got like a little sparkle in my eye for just bomb it around with no, no regard for where you're going to hit it and see what happens and see if you can just tap into the raw talent. Uh, cam Davis, interestingly enough, if you, so there's, again, not to get too crazy into this, but like you can do fantasy points gains, like you can do strokes gains if a guy gains uh, more than the average or loses more than the average. And because Cam Davis makes so many birdies and also so many bogeys, he is a very, very, very valuable fantasy player. He's more valuable here than he is in any other format. So it's worth noting that, Greg, if we need some value here, I see Phil Mickelson's name. I see Stuart Sink's name. I see Joel Damon's name, or is there anything that we can snag out of this $6,000 area? Well, um, let, how about we go to the min? Let's go to six, six K flat. Let's I think there's it. a very, in, a very interesting player 
sitting at the at the min price range. Um, and and because he's min price, I have him as my top six K guy because I, I think the I think getting a guy like this in here is the way to build your lineup this week. Uh, it's KH Lee. KH Lee's played some really nice golf of late, and I I think the fingerprint could be pretty good here. So he's a, a he's been a good putter of late. Um, he's had some really nice finishes of late. Um, T14, T25, T18 in his last three starts on tour. So I, I like the fact that he's played four events in the fall, made three cuts of three top 25s, which is all good. Um, and, and the putter seems to have been cooperating. He's gained in four of his last five events, which I like. Uh, again, we're talking about a min price guy here. He's also gained in um, in six of his last seven in strokes gained ball striking. So yeah. he's kind of a one of the guys I play in events where short game is important. That seems to be where he fits, if at all. But his ball striking has been a little better. And because he's my favorite min price guy. And he's right up there with other guys in the 6K range. Because I feel like there's something there. There's something to hang your hat on. There is very limited win equity i will say that but you don't need it from for six thousand bucks if he finishes 30th right. you've probably made out like a bandit right so I, I think there's a real solid chance that he finishes above middle of the pack and um and so that's why i really like him and and it allows you to get so many of these other guys we've talked about in there i will say this this table the results table from kh lee is probably better than i anticipated and he did struggle but he struggled right after his win at the byron nelson which is not yeah. unusual at all that happens to guys right. all the time you just cash the big payday you're secure for a while you have a couple bad weeks he was able to write the ship pretty quickly and has played well since then so that and is probably much better than i thought it was when when he puts well he has a way it's not quite it's not quite well, it's not anywhere near the correlation with Max Homa, where it's a clear hinge point. Putts well, top ten, um, but he does seem to perform well when he when he does gain on the greens. So I, I like taking a, a little flyer on him. And one other guy I'd name, yeah. Uh, well, you already named it. I guess Seamus Power would be on my list, um, and I think Siwoo Kim could be a, a potential play here. Although I, I don't, he's sixty nine hundred, so you don't get quite that value of a of a KH Lee but he has had some nice finishes of late and had some moderate success here as well so I, I he's third on my list in the 6k range I'll leave it at that I love it plenty of value to be had and Sia as we've gone through this and I'm sure you've already started to make lineups is there a preferred roster construction for you is it a stars and scrubs is it a balanced approach. What what have what have you done here early in the week so far that you might want to enlighten the people with? Yeah, it's mostly stars and scrubs. Mm. Uh, I but it's you know I, I don't think you have to dip into the quote scrubs portion too much, especially if you're maybe only rostering one of those ten k or above guys and you're dipping into the nine and eight k range. I, I think the seven k range is really tricky, and I, I probably agree with the sentiment you had earlier that that's might that might be where you kind of can win and lose this tournament. But I think the 8 to 9 to 10K range is so rich that I don't think there's a lot of difference. And I, we talked about this between, let's say, your Patrick Cantleys and your even your Justin Thomases or uh, your, let's say, Daniel Burgers or Cam Smiths and your Jordan Spieth, Sam Burns. So I, I really think you should consider that that like 
8,300 and above range, like to actually kind of be hmm. more similar than you, than you would see at, at other tournaments. So I, my point is don't be afraid to maybe take some to, to not roster a 10 K guy or above or to only roster one and then mix in a lot of the eight K guys, by the way, I have a quick trivia question for you. This guy's okay. in the six K range and he is the Kyle Stanley of this tournament. And he's, this guy's you know, the he's, Kyle he's, he's Stanley. Flat, he's, He's flat 6K, so that reduces it down to like three or four. Oh, is it Glover? Ma- uh, it's Glover? Lucas Glover? Yeah. It's yeah. Lucas Glover. Good guess. Yeah. yeah. Once once I you gave me that. the flat 6,000, but uh, yes, he is what? The, for those listening, that is the ball striking prowess, but couldn't couldn't put himself out of a paper bag. Yeah. Or chip. Right. Or chip. <laughs> now, before I sign us off here, Greg, it's 2022, my friend. We will be back tomorrow with a mega preview pod and we will be back. We, we, we heard, we heard the comments. We got the emails, we got the DMS and everything round by round recaps are back. My friend, Greg, you're working double duty this week. I believe, I think I'm going to get you twice for the century tournament champions Friday, Saturday, uh, as, as the plan stands now. Yeah. I can't wait. I mean, that gives me, Monday, Tuesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, there's no better way to welcome in 2022 than that. So I'm really looking forward to it. Round by round recaps are back six days a week for the first cut pod. Make sure you are subscribed. Make sure you're downloading your audio episodes, all that good stuff that we always ask you for. Just just go ahead and do it. Take you about five seconds. Greg Ducharme, you can find him on Twitter at the real GFD. See Najad is available at Sia Najad. Producer Jacob, he's he does all the hard work behind the scenes. Thank you, Producer Jacob. You can find me at Rick Run Good. This has been the first cut, and we'll catch you next time. Hey everyone, this is Jimmy Conrad, your favorite former U.S. Men's National Team player and the host of the Call It What You Want podcast. And I'm here to tell you that Viore is a versatile clothing brand that speaks my language. It's inspired from the coastal California lifestyle, just like me. Its products stand the test of time, just like me. And also just like me, it endeavors to inspire others to live vibrant, healthy lives. Viore gear is designed to look great in everyday life while also being perfect for any workout activity. I'm currently rocking the Men's Sunday Performance Jogger And don't let the name deceive you. You can wear these babies any day of the week and in any situation. I'm talking going to the office, running errands, the gym, whatever your heart desires, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. So get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash sports. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash sports. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Again, go to viore.com sports and discover the versatility of Viore clothing.